Thank you for joining Marianne and the professor. Uh, today, I am really delighted to be joined by Diana Chaplin, who is uh, someone that I met in England uh, earlier this month at a conference, and we became fast friends. Diana, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. My pleasure, Marianne. Thank you. So Diana has a very interesting story. We were sitting over dinner with another gal and found out I, we discovered that your, your husband is deceased. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this story tumbled out of how you are the survivor of um, a, a relationship where your, your spouse was, your husband was a cocaine addict and ended up taking his life or, or his life ended because of the addiction. And right. we can go into that more. Yes. But your story was so um, poignant and you were so transparent about it and then you pulled out the transcript for a book that you have written that you will be publishing. And mm -hmm. I was just struck with the rawness of your story, but the importance of your story. So uh, I, I wanted to kind of explore the whole topic with you and discuss it because it is one of those taboo subjects. Oh, it, massively taboo. Yeah, massively. No, no one's talking about it. I'm sure many are in the same place as you, but yes. uh, they keep it concealed. Um, so... We okay. I'll start right off the bat by saying, right off the bat, I said that's so interesting. I had just watched the John Mulaney special called Baby J on Netflix, and he exposed his whole story, uh, his rehab story, the intervention, but he presented it all with a humorous twist. Did you see that? And what did you? I was shocked when I saw this because I thought, oh, no one talks about this. What was your reaction when you saw that? Well, I, I'm a huge John Mulaney fan, which is really mm -hmm. ironic because not everybody knows who that is. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. So um, uh, I was waiting for the last three years, you know, where's John, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I saw this um, recently, a month or more ago, and it was just riveting. I was so excited and I was so moved and I was so, um, he had the, uh, the courage to, to stand up there and say, yep, here I am, you know, the, because there were rumors, of course, and so on, that he'd gone into rehab and what have you and getting divorced and, and whatnot. But he, you know, he brilliantly um, used that to share it. And yes, for the purpose of entertainment, mm -hmm. but it was far greater and deeper and more profound than just that. And it, it just, it was just so brilliant. Um, that he shared that, and and I was so excited, and and I um I'm actually I'll figure out how to get in touch with him, um because I have something to offer. Actually. Well, you mentioned as well that Robert Downey Jr. also has the same story, and at some point he was unemployable, and he shared his story in multiple interviews, mm -hmm. but yet another uh, individual kind of star who has yeah. shared his story. But this is a subject that is not discussed, right? And what no. and why is that? Because I it's not an uncommon story, but why is no one talking about it? Well, it's it's a stigma. You know, there, there's just a horrible um social stigma around um around uh, addiction and we all have the image um because it's just been pressed, you know, upon us through you know uh you know, books books, media, film, that the addict is, is really this, this bum, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the street and, oh, there they are. You know, they, we, we, we don't classify them as human almost, you know, people who are homeless. And so there's so many assumptions with just a homeless people, uh, a homeless person um, all on its own. So when we, of course, use the word addict, addict, everybody is just like, oh, and the conversation changes and people are uncomfortable. And if you're associated with that word uh, in any way, there's a, a quick judgment and a quick sort of push off. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to shut down a conversation or, or a party or, or um, you know, a social network. Well, we do associate addicts with street people, but in actuality, I think, a good portion of addicts are white collar, oh. very well-to-do, very affluent, 
very successful. They may oh. be doctors, they may be lawyers, they're high power yeah. businessmen, but they're closet addicts. Yeah. Tell me the story of your husband, because your husband was high functioning in a sense. Oh yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah. yeah. So tell me, tell yeah. me your story. Yeah, it's not exclusive, you know, to to someone who's homeless or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And so, um, you know, we so, you know, my husband was a, a brilliant guy and very successful in business. Um, he was also an artist and I know artists get picked on. Oh, oh, well, you know, yeah, a lot of artists are addicts. But, you know, uh, you know, again, you get sucked into that um uh, that dogma but um, he was super brilliant on both sides which is very unusual actually mm -hmm. and so um, this was a long withstanding um, uh, battle that he had and and it had been established long before I came on the scene and I recognized it but it was it seemed kind of mild to me at first and I thought well you know he's been a bachelor for so long and and he's such a brilliant man and loving person that, you know, this sort of silliness will, you know, taper off because now we're launching into a new life together and so on. And so, uh, you know, I, I had a leap of faith and, and so there we were. And, and so for, you know, the best of, for the most of 10 years, I was, I was in this, this ecosystem of, of loving an addict and, and, you know, how I, you know, I, I didn't just wake up and, and acknowledge it, but how I somehow, you know, got into um, a uh, uh, routine of managing this. And so I became the shepherd, you know, so I would always be aware of, events and and who we were socializing with and what that might mean and how there may be triggers and so on and so forth so i was always troubleshooting and just trying to guide and so on you know these personal private you know social times um in in a smooth and orderly fashion now it always didn't you know it didn't always go that way um so it became just part of my relationship with my husband you know it was just my role and um and over time of course it was very it was exhausting you know it, it was and it's very isolating it's very lonely and because for for my my mental health um i'd have to be very careful with what i shared to people and so i wouldn't really be able to share my stuff on this level because fear of judgment and and um of course there's humility and shame and so on and it's all horribly you know um the same kind of uh it's just you know it, it's just you have to navigate away from certain conversations um and you can only piecemeal certain things as far as how you're feeling so i was never able to really share what it was I was experiencing and and because people you know couldn't relate to it you know people can't relate to it and and you want to create uh, optimism like where you want to maintain optimism you want to keep moving forward and believing that okay this is going to resolve because you know we're doing all this work and he's done so well this time through with through this cycle and uh no we haven't you know now we're back again so it was just, there was an all um, undercurrent of optimism on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, you know, I'm still strategizing, okay, what else can, can I do? What else can we do, you know, to, to get healthy, you know? So it, it's just a chronic, um, endless um, existence, you know? Mm -hmm. It just, mm -hmm. and, and I was forever thinking that, you know, this will taper and you know he will be healthy again you know because he's so brilliant like he's such a smart person and he's so successful and surely you know um he's gonna he's gonna succeed you know so um, how did how did he manage to conduct himself in the business world and cover up 
this addiction? Or well, you know, everybody has their own way of functioning. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't a daily, you know, uh, addiction. You didn't have appetite for daily. And, and it, it involved alcohol firstly. You know, there's always alcohol and then other mm-hmm. things to follow, right? So it wasn't always cocaine, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very high functioning and he was, by and large, a very healthy person. He was athletic and so on. So he could manage and do his exercise and, and do his business and, you know, perform and, and be the, you know, the great business guy. Um and then he would, over time, it could be over a variety of weeks and so on, you know, he'd allow, you know, the alcohol and, and then so on and so on to sort of leach back in. And what it is, addiction is very, um, it's not cut and dry. So it's a physiological and it's a psychological, you know, issue, right? And you and I cannot relate to that because we think, well, just stop. Like, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Just stop doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It, it, it it's, it's, um, it's a prison really, you know, once you're afflicted with, with an addiction, you're every day, you will always have to mentally and physically deal with that addiction and create your day to be free and clear of that. Uh, I mean, I, I know that to be true, a hundred percent. And mm-hmm. so it's like the evil twin, you know, it sneaks up on you. And I would see this, I would witness it. And so the addict that would, that would, you know, uh, would rise from my husband. I mean, I could see it sort of manifesting. And so I, I was able to know when it, you know, when this cycle was going to start all over again. And were there, were there triggers that you looking, reflecting back, what would trigger an episode? Well, what would help along, you know, it to, to, to set off would be either a social event, you know, where there was drinking involved, you know, with friends and, and so on, or perhaps um, an event, you know, a social event, um, uh, a Christmas party or something, perhaps, um, uh, maybe something that was uncomfortable uh, that um, a birthday even, you know, where I wouldn't have known that that would have been stressful, but that triggered, you know, an, an event, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it was all very, very personal and very private to him, which it is, you know, and and even he would not fully understand it. And, and he recognized that it was bigger than he and he did on occasion thank me for saving his life Mm. so you know so how many times so you know my role became i was very um i was very trained up uh in how to manage this and um you know it it always it didn't all always work in my favor of course you know but you know, I saved a lot of moments, but then there are a lot of moments that, that were lost too. And were there, would he ever turn on you or blame you? Or was he very grateful for you um, being like, we talked about the supporting cast. Yeah. You're like, he's, he's the main. He's the star. Uh, he's the main, yeah. the star of the performance. You're the supporting yeah. cast member, but Correct. you're, you're either you're enabling or you are masking or you are dancing around to make yeah. him look better and conceal the reality of what's going on. hundred percent. Exhausting. Did it's he, exhausting. did he recognize your role and thank you? Or did he resent you or what, what was that like? Well, it was mixed. It was mixed. Like for instance, it's a double life. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a secret life. So it's a secret life for the addict and it's a secret life for the supporting cast member. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so you've got a dual situation and you're managing depending on who you're with, you know, the reality. Yeah. And so, yes, it's exhausting. And, um, was he resentful? Um, very rarely, occasionally, only on a few occasions did he sort of, you know, express a sort of a sour tone, (laughs) but 
generally not. And in mm -hmm. fact, with an intervention that I staged, um, I, I thought, oh boy, you know, you know, he's going to give me the stink eye for God knows how long. But in fact, he thanked me for that. So you did so, stay, so you did, like oh, Robert, like John Mulaney talked about an intervention with all of his friends. Oh, and I they, see. They did, they, they staged a big okay. intervention and got him into rehab. So mm -hmm. you staged an intervention, at I least did. one. How yeah. did that go? What was that like? Well, I, um, I set it up with his, his closest um, uh, friends and business partner and um, uh, the men in his family. And, uh, and so, so I did not, I was not there. I set it up to, to happen. And, um, and it also, at that time, it was new information to all of these people. Oh, so you know? none of them had suspected anything prior to this. Well, I'm not saying that not all, not any of them had suspected, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you know, I hadn't shared you know, hadn't gone to this level. And I think the family were the most surprised. Mm. And so there, there came a, a time, a threshold where I knew I had to bring them in. I couldn't manage this on my own anymore. And so I, I did. And, and how did that, how did it go? Uh, well, actually they, 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 for the most part, they stepped up. Um, not all the family, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's unique to, each individual and and how they process that and and you know deal with it and and their own frustration or anger with that or you know I mean goodness that's unpacking a lot of different mm -hmm. people's stuff and mm -hmm. but for the most part there was pretty good support there but again without the full understanding of what the addict is actually physiologically and psychologically going through there wasn't a lot of patience it's like okay we've got this out in the open now so you know that's got to improve things which it did in a way because he felt relieved as he told me but it didn't fix anything it wasn't the silver bullet it was part of the process and very very good but then you later had um you know a family member who i believe just became very impatient with it and just said you know, you get one shot, you know, of my time and support. And so it, everybody has a threshold, you know, mm -hmm. and everyone has a, a way of dealing with that. And one method is to kind of scold or, you know, there's shame involved, right? And uh, I don't think that works, <laughs> you know. So, so there was this intervention, but mm. the follow-up, was not into rehab he went it was more like a disclosure to business associates and family yes. we had this problem right but, but perhaps what could have followed would have been a full-blown off to rehab you go well and that happened not in that moment um that happened because another event occurred and um and so the only remedy that I put forward and it was really brave and bold on my part because it's always risky. You know, you don't know if, you know, if I'm going to just push him over the edge and, and uh, you know, I didn't want to dismantle the marriage. I wanted mm -hmm. to, to grow it. So it's a fine line, but I did lay down an ultimatum because there was a predicament where I and our child were over here for, you know, um, my birthday we'd traveled, you know, hundreds of miles, we were going to rendezvous, and he missed the flight. And so he said, Well, I'll, I'll come right away. It was the next day. And I said, actually, our, our communication cut out because we were in the wilderness. Basically, we, we were, um, you know, we, we got cut off, and I had a moment to think about it. And I, I didn't want to say don't come. But I thought, no, no, say, do not come. You must go to this rehab. And we'd already looked at this rehab and talked about it. So it was sort of setting, it had already been set up mm -hmm. in, in a way. And so my ultimatum was, no, actually, why don't you go there? Mm -hmm. And so he did. 
which was really huge, really huge. Um, and I didn't get a chance to speak to him while he was there and he was only there for 10 days. And it was quite a profound experience for him as he shared with me. But the counselor, one of the counselors um, reached out because they do. And he just flagged me to say, um, this, uh, this isn't over. And the tricky thing about your husband is that he's very smart. And it's the smart ones that are, that are more challenging because they can, you know, they can just uh, think their way, intellectualize their way through it and out of it and, and, and be better, you know? So mm -hmm. he just, he just gave me a, a, a warning that, you know, that this, this isn't over and uh, just be mindful. So um, he, he was, he was right. You know, he was right now. Oh, sorry. Go so, ahead. so 10 days in is typically rehab months. Uh, I, I often think of rehab as being six months, say, to really repattern yeah. the brain and repattern the behaviors, yeah, etc. What, yeah. what happened at the 10 day mark that he decided, okay, I'm better, I'm going home. What was that process like? Oh, oh well. was it was it the rehab center that suggested he go home? Or how how did he leave after 10 days? Well, he um he wanted to get back to work. And it's it's thousands of dollars a day. <laughs> so you know, these these re rehab centers are not uh uh for the faint of heart or the faint of uh of wallet, you know, they're very, very, very expensive. So um he made the executive decision to um to to leave which of course he had that option to do so and um as much as i wanted him in there indefinitely you know whatever a few months or what have you um there were these other variables which is very uh, you know another piece of reality you know because when you're in rehab I guess there's no ability to work while you're in rehab. You mm. are focusing on y your own issues yeah. and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, it, heartbreaking that he actually got in yeah. and then departed because you can yeah. see that he was on the path to recovery possibly. Oh, then, he wanted he, to. Yeah. Oh no, he wanted to. Like there was, there wasn't anything about, the situation that he didn't want to be on the other side of it. Definitely not. Heartbreaking. So after that intervention, then what happened? Well, um, then things were, were lovely, you know, and we had some, uh, some house, you know, housekeeping rules and we weren't, uh, and I went along, you know, Hey, we won't have a drink. That's fine. Um, uh, you know, all, that was easy for me to, I could um, support that. And, and I knew things were, were um, corroding uh, when he sat me down and asked, because he thought it would be okay, whilst I was in the same space with him, that he would be allowed one glass of wine, say with dinner. And I thought, uh-oh, okay, so that makes me the police. Like, like I, I was the police before, I, I suppose. I like to call it the shepherd, but now I'm the police. So, you know, you're bad cop, good cop, mm -hmm. you know? So of course, with that arrangement, you know, that was just, of course, a setup to fail, you know? So then, and again, I can't stress enough that's, that it's physiological. Like I could see the chemical change go on with him and how his body and, and, and his behavior was, his body was craving. Like it would just, everything about him was transforming. Um, every time he, you know, ended up having an, an episode, if you will. So you can, you can see it, you can feel it. And, um, and then it would happen. And then there'd be the backlash of grave uh, remorse. Mm -hmm. And of course your body feels like it's been, you know, run over by how many trucks and, um, 
And, and then, so then you're flattened, he'd be flattened out and really receptive to, you know, ideas and, and, and support and yeah, yeah. And, and, and very open. And then of course, you know, it just time would go along and it would just restart again. So it would, it would have its cycles. And, and, um, and in the midst of all this, you're trying to raise a daughter. Correct. Yeah. And, and in a sense, you are, you have two dependents in the same. Yeah. You have your daughter and your husband. Your husband is more complicated dependent. So how yeah. did you how did you maneuver with a daughter? Well, she was quite young, quite small. So she wasn't of the age to recognize anything or see mm. anything. She was becoming more aware, mm -hmm. um, but she hadn't yet. You know, she was uh, seven. You know, when mm. when when he passed so so she doesn't have a lot of memory so there wasn't um you know she didn't have an experience if you will with that but i was managing um you know i was i was the full-time parent um which you know i was i was happy with i was i you know it was an honor mm -hmm. but as you say it was um i was parenting in multiple other ways to, you know, my husband as well. Yeah. As, as we were discussing that. Um, so here you are yo-yoing up and down. And at what, uh, I mean, you don't need to talk about this if you don't want to, because it's kind of sensitive, but what was kind of the final chapter? For him, mm -hmm. you mean? Mm -hmm. Well, he, he, he died of an overdose. So the worst case scenario happened Right. So, so, you know, as a supporting cast member, which I like to, you know, that's sort of an easy description of, of who yeah. we are, you know, family, friend, sibling, you know, whatever we, we are. Um, we're just watching this movie by and large. And um, that is by far, of course, the worst case scenario. So you worry about that happening because it's possible um, but of course, you know, I chose that, you know, I wasn't going to believe that, or that's not the direction it was going to take. So it, it did take that direction and it wasn't deliberate. It was a massive error and it happened and it, um, uh, it happened, you know, uh, he was away, um, in a conference and, he, I don't, you know, whatever he, he ended up ingesting and so on, um, put him into a uh, EMS cardiac arrest situation. And then um, in, in the hospital, in the eMERGE, in, um, uh, is it uh, ICU? And, um, and it took, you know, I, I got the call and it took two and a half days to determine that he, you know, once his system got settled down and his organs, um, that he was fully brain dead. So we, we had to unplug him. Yeah. So it was a horrible finale. Horrible. And so, you know, with that, there was, um, you know, so much from that moment, you know, so much more to learn and to process and, and then, and then to deal with, I mean, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother piece, um, that, that I, I lived through and, um, and got through. And I think I was very successful to come out, you know, the other end. Um, and I have, uh, <laughs> I have all that experience. Um, oh, it, you, you, but the trauma of losing your husband in this way, what was the reaction of associates, business associates, family members, friends? Because oh, I would imagine there, as you mentioned before, there's the shame, there is the, uh, the humility, the fear to share this story in a transparent way with those around mm -hmm. you. Did you share it openly or did you selectively share well, with, with the, the story. family, mm -hmm. the close, close family, not all family. No, no, not but all. 
No, not all salmon. Um, and with um, certain, you know, specific friends. Um, so it was selective. And, and then to the rest of the world, it was a cardiac arrest, you know? So again, it was, it was living a secret life. Yeah. And then post that life, living another secret life. Yes. Right. And, and keeping that going. Keeping right? his, keeping his legacy um, in top form. You're protecting yeah. even his legacy. Yeah. And then, how, then how do you grieve? when you still are yeah. playing the role of not an enabler, but you're protecting him and protecting Absolutely. the memory of him. Well, and what really triggered something, which um, is, is, is an interesting piece of the story, is that the coroner, um, you know, they, they do their thing and they write a report. And so this report was uh, quite a chunky paragraph and it um it was a uh a storyboard of really they didn't know the individual they never spoke to me about my husband and they made these assumptions that were incorrect and so um basically that he was just another one off the street you know oh. and it wasn't just a you know a cause of death you know x it went into you know, this individual's lifestyle. And so I reached out, it took me a while because there was, it was a labyrinth to get to the top, the chief coroner. And I reached out through letters and so on and so forth, so forth for months to say, this won't do this report, you know, this report. No, like that's not correct for starters. It's not even accurate. And to maim this man, who that was not his story. And, you know, he may not go down with that label on, on this record. I'm sorry, you know, that that's completely unacceptable. And at the end of the day, I finally got a phone call from the, from the chief coroner and she apologized. It was really an incredible moment, but she herself reviewed the file and said, you know, we see this all the time and we make judgments and it's really a conveyor belt and we lose the sight of, you know, that was an individual, that was a mm -hmm. human being. And we lose that, we become calloused. It was a really profound statement on her part. And I was so, so, uh, I don't even know the words, but it was a real moment. And so they re, uh, they, they rewrote it basically. They, they took yeah. all that storyboard out and they just said died of X, Y, Z period. But that was yeah. a big moment because for me, that wasn't acceptable. No, it, it wasn't, you know, what, what would have motivated the coroners to create that narrative? Because there must be a lot of deaths like your husband of successful yeah. white collar addicts who were very high functioning at one level, but addicts. Well, he wouldn't have known that he was white collar. They wouldn't have known he was anybody, really. Um, he had an, an enlarged heart. And that is an association and an assumption that that person has undergone chronic cocaine use. So I asked, well, what's tell me about chronic, the word chronic, because mm -hmm. when I say and think of chronic, it means to me every day. It's mm -hmm. like ongoing. And the first coroner, the junior coroner said, no, no, just not, not necessarily every day. No. And I said, okay, well, wait a minute. So the language here, we let's talk about the language. And so they associate an enlarged heart with chronic cocaine use. Now, my husband's father had just had a quadruple bypass. Mm -hmm. And this was a very fit, um, beautiful guy very healthy man, my, my father-in-law. And he too had an enlarged heart and it was thought to be hereditary. Mm. So I said, well, guess what? You know, you can't, you can't stick that chronic cocaine use onto an enlarged heart exclusively. 
-hmm. you know, that's not accurate. That's not mm -hmm. true. And furthermore, my husband's father, you know, mm -hmm. this was the situation, right? Mm -hmm. So they, that was, that was a strong argument, you know, but I mm -hmm. <laughs> had to point it out. <laughs> but I got there and I, it was very important for me to have that properly done, you know, for, for his dignity mm -hmm. and, and moving forward, you know, that was just, so that was just one piece of the story. <laughs> That, and I've got it that's... written. I've, I've recorded it. I've, I've written it, you know, in in my in my book. Right. That... Now, let's talk about this book, because we were very privileged to have you read the transcript of, of your new book that is coming out. You've got a publisher in Toronto yes. who uh, looks like he'll be, um, you know, working with you. Uh, so tell me about how this book took life. What 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 inspired you to oh, write a book? Too funny. OK, so. I don't know why, but uh, a dozen years ago or something, this this funny little book came across my 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 zone, and I thought, what an incredible book! And can I show it to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So it's this thing, and it's it's a bit naughty, um, but it's this wonderful author, and he did very well. This was a huge release, and it's a silly little book, and it's very dear, and it rhymes, and it's got cute little you know pictures of oh little darlings and it's it's for adults though who are trying to put their little darlings to sleep and of course we've all been there yes. where they don't go to sleep you know yeah and so it ended up being a very amusing book between adults to laugh at how tired they are <laughs> <laughs> it's a, basically it's it's a yeah it's a predicament that every parent finds himself yeah. in yeah. and um, very clever very very, very clever, clever. So that book really inspired me. And I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a, I'm a songwriter. So, so this type of writing resonates with me because it's, it's like a verse and, you know, chorus and so on and so forth. And I get the rhyming thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just loved how it was framed. And I thought, wow, okay. So I've been taking notes. I'd been journaling since the get-go so I had all this, um, all this information and all this uh, reflection. And I wanted to write something desperately for years. Mm -hmm. But anytime I, I threw myself into, you know, the, um, the uh, uh, conventional book, I thought, well, how do I, you know, how do I manage all that? I mean, where do I start, begin? I, I don't know. And also, if you've got a big, huge book, who's going to read it from front to, to back? I mean, it sort of would be a piecemeal event, mm -hmm. most likely. I mean, mm -hmm. these things are not always read through. And so there was a snowstorm and um, I was in my, in my property, at my property, and I couldn't drive out because the snow, the driveway was completely um, packed with snow for two days, almost three days. And I was fine, but it just, it just all came together. And I, I happened to, you know, have all my notes and whatnot, you know, just all over the table and such. And I thought, okay, well, this is it. And I just sat down and I started to write a song, but of course I didn't bring in any, any um, music to it, which is how typically I would write. And, um, I just did the poetry piece and it was very flowy. It just, it just rolled out and it ended up being a chronological story of the entire experience. And it's, it's also written in, in a bit of a whimsical way. Mm -hmm. well, okay. Even, even the title share with us the title because that oh. indicates. Yes. Well, um, grow the mm, up so grow the f up so f same same kind of uh idea as the right. sleep book but this is really an ode to your deceased husband saying Correct. wake up and wake so can can you read us an excerpt of this well, because when you read it i started to cry i thought it was very profound it was beautifully written and you read it to us in you know, under 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So like you say, this will be read from start to finish. Yeah. But it tells the story so beautifully. Can you read a little bit of it? Yes. And, and may I add that I, you know, Grow the F Up is not to suggest at all that that's, it's, it's that simple. It, it's yeah, actually no. not about that whatsoever. So this is a paradox. Mm -hmm. And um, to the, you know, to people who, well, I'll just read it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But now do you want it from top to bottom? What, you know what, I'm wondering if you should uh, give us a portion that let people, I would say, give us a piece, but go as long as you like. I thought it's very well written. Okay. So just keeping in mind, it's a paradox. I might skip i might do a couple of teasers skip to a little piece mm -hmm. in the middle and then just let it go mm -hmm. okay because mm -hmm. it does make a transition so grow the f up i've counted many a time the evenings that never end how will it play out a not so uncommon trend i encourage as i can to steer you from disaster a thankless job i'm aware you are your own master. Our child now lays asleep, and with any given luck, you will appear before morn so quickly it's prudent. You need to grow the F up. You reappear the next day, your body and mind contorted, toxic waste expelling from your pores. I'm sorry is all that you can say as you drag your self-inflicted baggage to sleep off your remorse and decay. Looming from the fog, a tall glass of water in hand. Thanks for saving my life, babe. Is my reward, my purpose, my brand. This journey, this path, this cycle. You're a prisoner of Camp Runamuck. Please, my darling, I beg you, grow the F up. So this is how it flows. And chronologically, it goes along. Mm. Then there's a chorus, what I refer to, because but it's a shift and here we are without further ado nothing has changed the neural patterns are set this is not a mere game i have tried everything i know from compassion to campaign i am empty i am defeated this dirty dragon i cannot tame it's out of my hands and it's out of his too i have no advice with what to do my optimism wanes and my isolation increases. This is an ugly journey, the most toxic of diseases. So that's my teaser. But it's quite quite beautiful, it's quite profound. And at the very minimum, the minimal, it will, it will invite um, conversation immediately on the subject matter. It's a learning tool. It, it can be a, an anonymous gift. I can see it, you know, on the table of a um, psychologist's office, a rehab, you know, it's there as a tool. And once you start reading it, you have to read it from beginning yes. to end. It's right there. It's so it's, it's um, brilliant that you channeled your creative energy into something like this, because I can see that it could be a very powerful tool to share with people that you suspect there might be a problem or, you know, are yeah. healing from this. Yes. What, what could people have done better to support you in all of this? Because it, it must be very isolating, very um, lonely walk to be okay. the victim of this. Your, your spouse, yeah. your, your husband and the father of your daughter is now gone mm -hmm. and you don't feel like you could be completely transparent to everyone as to why he's gone. Right. What what could what could people do better to support you? What could they have done? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, there at the time I didn't have any resource but my own. So I had to, you know, I mean, you make up things as you go along, and um, and then you cherry pick what information you're going to share to certain people. So then you can get bits of advice or direction or encouragement from mm -hmm. certain people that you go to and, and honor and, and respect. There wasn't one 
fundamental source that I that I had. I, I did try an Al-Anon meeting, a few of them, and I found it very um, unhelpful uh, for the most part. I understood that, that you're there and you're sharing, and that's good. But it felt to me like a stagnant pond with no fresh water coming through. There was no natural spring water underneath. There was no stream coming through. So this pond was just stagnant, um, septic, and stinky. You know, like, what do you do with all this, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we've shared, now what? So it, it was, it just, it was not satisfying at all. And, and I couldn't go back because it was just so depressing. It was just, and it, there was no action. There was no forward movement. And it's like, okay, so what I ended up doing because the resources that were available were next to nothing. And so what I do is I have, um, I have an email where people can quietly reach out to me and we can set up, um, you know, a, a number of conversations, if you will, um, whereby I can learn about their personal and customized situation. And for one, it's a huge relief because um, it, it, it validates anyone's story, you know, mm -hmm. anyone's situation instantly. Um, and that's, that was the, that's a biggie, you know, is, is to have someone else validate where you're coming from yeah, and, and know to, it to be true and real. And so with that individual story, then I, assist in directing um, in specific steps based on their situation and uh, providing action steps and so on. And firstly, of course, acknowledging what the situation is, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, okay, let's, you know, we got to start at the beginning here and how, how you got here yeah. and, um, and owning it. So it's, I'm able to, to hold your hand and walk you through it and it's just very satisfying i mean this it's just so it's so beautiful well it's you are you are in a very unique position because you can truly empathize you've been there you are speaking from your own personal journey and you can validate like you say and walk alongside someone who is in a very similar predicament so yeah. I think it's a very powerful position. In a sense, you're almost like a coach. And yes. I think yeah. that that, and maybe in the future, I envision that you could have um, an organization where you train up people. And it would it would probably need, need to be people who have walked through it as well. I don't 100%. think, unless you've lived that, how are you going to truly be able to walk uh, with someone else and, and understand? So no, it, sound, it sounds to me like there is a void that needs to be filled and yeah. your book may become a great launching pad for that project. Yeah, I believe so. I, I think there's so, and it, I, yeah. I think you have an incredible uh, future mm -hmm. in terms of reaching those people who were the victims in the supporting cast, because yeah. I think the victims have their support. Well, you know, well-established, but you yes. as a supporting cast member had virtually nothing. That's and good. so it sounds to me like you could create something quite remarkable. And by the time that someone comes to me, reaches out to me, they generally already have their seatbelt on, but they may not have the shoulder strap or they may need a helmet yeah. yes. <laughs> or goggles too. Yeah. You know, so, so it just depends. And um, there's ways to move forward with this um, uh, and, and empower yourself and, and, and be in a better position um, emotionally and uh, and and physically and and logistically. Yeah. So, you know, um, this it doesn't get any more real. <laughs> no, no. This is such yeah. an important topic, and I think yeah. right now we're seeing epidemic levels of suicides, drug overdoses yeah. in Canada. This is a massive problem. Yes, it is. And it's not being dealt with, I don't think, appropriately. No. And it, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of damage, collateral damage. 
Yeah. And I think you can speak to this and be a real leader in Canada in terms of providing some solutions. Yes. So Diana Chaplin, I'm suspecting when this book, I hope it comes out soon because it's going to give you a wonderful platform to yes. um, orchestrate some solutions and care for people who are in your predicament. Yeah. Uh, it's wonderful. So I look forward to seeing the book, Wake the F Up. I hope I can be one of your first buyers. Oh, we, we've got to get that widely available across Canada. And then I think that it starts the conversation as John Mulaney did yeah, with his wonderful. bit. I think we need more people to come forward and be yeah. public because this is uh, one of the taboo subjects no one yes. wants to talk about. It's the yes. little secrets, but yes. I think it's very pervasive. So yeah. I really thank you for sharing your story. It's very poignant very personal, but I think so many can benefit from your, your story. So I really appreciate you, yes. you sharing you. that. My and pleasure. And it, it's, it's, it's my intention to, mm -hmm. to allow other people to recognize um, that this is their story as well. I yeah. mean, I can't tell you how many people have said when they've read my piece that, Oh, that's me. That's you me. Know? Yes. It's wild. And, and maybe no one knew. But once one person, the floodgates may open. People yeah. feel that, okay, wait a minute. I'm not to blame. I have no reason to feel yeah. shame. It's not even your issue. It's not your immediate issue. You mm -hmm. were the victim of an addict. And you're in a, in a very... Um, you're in a very fragile very, state. Very fragile state. And it's, it's ridden with... It's complicated. And there's nothing addict. wrong, you know, there's nothing taboo about loving an addict. I mean, we're mm. talking about, you know, other human beings and loved ones, yeah. you know, so without any shame or, you know, one has to have great amounts of compassion yeah. for the addict that you love and, and for mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So Diana Chaplin, how can people contact you? Yes. So um, I have a, uh, an email. And um, it's uh, six degrees support at proton.com. So and six, uh, six degrees of support. No, six degrees support. Okay, six degrees support at protonmail.com. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. And that's uh, the, um, the number six. Okay. I will write it in the notes. Yeah, write it. Well. In the notes. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your story. And thank you. thank you for writing the book. I can't wait for it to come out. I my suspicion is it it could do very well. Thank you, Mary. Because I don't think other people are addressing this important issue. No. Nope, so thank you. Thank you, Mary. Okay, I look forward to I'm gonna be watching you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Keep me posted. I will thank do. you. Okay. okay. All right.